Hi. Um, okay, so little disclaimer before we jump in tonight. Um, if you were here last time I preached, I'm not sorry, but it's kind of funny where I was just kind of like bawling on stage the whole time. And so I don't think that's going to happen tonight, but it might, you know, we'll let the spirit lead as the spirit leads. But guys, if you don't know me, my name is Zach Rao, and I really hate doing intros. So would you just open your Bible to Matthew 7 for me? <laughs> Okay, while you're finding your, uh, your place in Matthew 7, we're going to be in verses 21 through 29 today. I want to kind of recap what we've been doing this summer. Okay, so Mikey, if you remember like six weeks ago, kind of started us off on, on the summer on the mount, the sermon on the mount, right, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And he's basically started off with this idea of blessedness, right? Like he said... This is not a set of morals to love, live up to. When we're, when we're studying the, the Sermon on the Mount, it's not a set of morals to live up to, nor is it a new doctrine to believe in, but it's an invitation to a whole new way of life, right? That's kind of the, the like, backdrop that Mikey gave for us as we've been studying through this whole sermon that Jesus gave. And we might have like, forgotten about it a bit, and that's fine. Like, you know, stuff happens. But I want to revisit that idea tonight. And I want us to answer this question. What does it look like for us, like Christians, non-Christians, whoever, humans, to thrive today in 2020? Okay, Jesus spoke these words like 2,000 years ago. And a lot of people might say that's reason enough not to listen to them. But what I've seen as I've been pouring over this text is that, in fact, over 2,000 years since Jesus has said these words, not only are they still true, but they're still invoking blessedness in people's lives today. Right? As we've been going through this Sermon on the Mount, we've also looked at like, okay, so we've looked at what it looks like to be blessed. We've also looked at like obedience to the law. We've looked at how to be salt and light. We've looked at loving your enemies. We've looked at generosity, like on and on and on and on. Jesus is kind of giving like this holistic approach of like, here's how you should live your life in light of like listening to me. But as I've been studying this, guys, like, <laughs> full disclosure, it's kind of made me frustrated, and it kind of made me angry, because this is what I believe as a Christian, right? Like, faith in Jesus means eternal life with God forever, right? That's like what eternity means, eternal life with God forever, just to emphasize the point. Okay, so if, if that's true, why is so much of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount focused on how to be a good person? Right, like why is there so much instruction on how do we live our lives if faith is just all we need to like get into heaven? And that's been frustrating me because it's going against, or at least I think, or I thought, let's put that in the past tense, I've thought that it was kind of going against everything that I believed in that Jesus is saying. But I want to just kind of frame it this way for you. We can come to like a really horrible conclusion, a really fast conclusion by reading the Sermon on the Mount and think that's all Jesus has to say about being blessedness is be a good person and you will be blessed by God. Like we could pull that conclusion out of the Sermon on the Mount. That would be a horrible conclusion <laughs> because I see other verses in scripture say like, God, why do the wicked prosper? Right? Like I see other pieces of scripture that say like, man, I'm like in the deep valley and I can't see God. I feel like I can't see God, but I know he's like my refuge and my stronghold. I see the earth quaking around me, right? Like all these things where it's like, I think I'm a pretty good person, but like, 
my life doesn't seem to reflect like my investment in being a good person. Bad things happen to me. So guys, I really think Jesus is trying to get at that and actually give us a lot of clarity tonight, a lot of hope, a lot of assurance. Because I think what he wants to say is living a life of blessedness is actually very simple. Okay? So just put that in your back pocket and open up your Bibles to Matthew 7, 21 through 29 with me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we do many miracles in your name? And I will announce to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded on that house, yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded on that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because his teaching was like one who had authority and not like their scribes. Here's the big point for all you note takers out there about what we're going to get um, from this tonight. Jesus wants to ask us two questions from this Sermon on the Mount right at the close. Number one, is my faith genuine or counterfeit? Is my faith genuine or counterfeit? Number two, how can I tell? <laughs> like, those are two really important questions to ask. Like, they have, like, eternal ramifications, right? But I want to tonight just kind of put the mirror up to our souls in a way, have a good look under the hood. Because, like I said, this, this is, like, an important question. But, guys, I don't want to scare you tonight. I, I don't want you to say, like, you're going to hell. Believe in God. Like, that would be a terrible thing to tell you guys. I mean, it's true. But, like, also, that's just, like, not how you want to go about it, right? <laughs> so... Anyway, the goal isn't to scare you into a faith in God. I want you guys to know for certain whether or not you're going to heaven. That's like the, the goal tonight. I want you to know that if you have a life with Christ Jesus, nothing will separate you from God. Like Romans 8, what Ryan was referencing earlier, later on in the end of that chapter, it's like, I'm convinced that nothing in life, like present or future or angels or demons or height or depth or anything in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, right? I want that to be true for everybody in here tonight. But the only way we get that is if we know Jesus, right? So we have to ask the question, is my faith genuine? And I ask this question because Jesus' first illustration from the text here, it's like pointing to people, or at least a kind of people, that at least have an understanding that there is a God, right? Like they're saying, Lord, Lord, like didn't we do all this stuff for you? Like not only do they know God, but they also understand what God tells them to do. Like, hey, we prophesied, we casted out demons in your name, we did miracles for you. Like, have you guys ever casted out a demon? That sounds terrifying to me. Even if I did it in the name of Jesus, I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that. These guys are saying, we've done that. Don't you know us? Isn't my faith genuine? Hey, wasn't I poor in spirit like you told me to be? I did the law. I kept my anger and my lust out of my heart. 
I loved my enemies. Like, they could go on and on. Like, hey, we did everything you told us to do in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't you know us? And Jesus would say no. They would look at him and say, hey, our faith is genuine because look at what we did for you. I want that to sink in. Our faith is genuine because look at what we did for you. And he won't let them into heaven. He'll even, like, he, he won't even say, like, no, you can't come into heaven. He says, no, there's no way. I don't even know you. In fact, you're a lawbreaker. How does that make sense? If you're doing what Jesus is telling you, and you're even saying that you're doing it in his name, how will you go before him on judgment day and say, oh, hey, Jesus? And he's like, what? Who are you? Like, that's terrifying. That's a terrifying thing that could happen in your life. And I want you to think about this interaction. Like, these people that are, like, going before Jesus saying, like, Lord, Lord. They're going up to him and they're saying, here's, like, what I've done with my life for you. God asked them, hey, why should I let you in my kingdom? Why? Like, that's a question he has a right to ask. And here's how they respond. Excuse me. They pull out their resume. Hey, I was a salt leader. Hey, I shared the gospel with a ton of people. I exercised a couple of demons. I obeyed your laws. I even went overseas. I gave up a summer of my life to go to China. Have you ever had a conversation like that with someone? You're like trying to tell them about Jesus. They're like, yeah, that's cool and all. I think I'm a pretty good person. Like, I don't kill people. You know, like, we've had those conversations. I've had those conversations in the past 12 months where I'm sitting down across the table from someone trying to share the gospel with them. And they're like, oh, yeah, like, totally. Like, I do a ton of stuff for God. Like, the only reason that they have in their mind about why they're qualified to go to heaven is because of themselves. Like, look at what I did, Jesus. Like, look at how I served you. And it essentially boils down to this. These people that Jesus is talking about, specifically in Matthew 7, I'm not saying this is all people that Jesus is talking about, but just in this passage, Matthew 7, these are the kind of people that have traded intimacy with God for activities for God. Does that make sense? I'm going to say it again. They traded intimacy with God for activities for God. It's not because they weren't zealous about the things of God. It's not even that they weren't excited to be a salt leader or to reach international students or move to China or somewhere even more obscure. It's so, they, they, they did these things so that when God asked them, why should I let you into heaven, they would have an answer. They even tried to justify themselves. Like, Jesus, didn't we do this? Didn't, we, didn't you say this to us? Didn't we listen? Didn't I give this up for you? And that can come across as like maybe like the super like overt, arrogant, proud kind of guy saying that. Like, oh, Jesus, come on. You don't know me? Like, obviously I've given my whole life to you. But like I was reading this and I was like, there could be another way that you can say these very same words, but instead of like this really arrogant, pompous, like masculine, hyper-masculine way to like go about it, you could also come about it as like this fearful rationalization where like Jesus is like, saying to him that he never knew you, and you're like, wait, what? Like, I thought I was, like, doing these things. Like, I thought, like, Jesus, wasn't I, like, prophesying in your name? Like, wasn't, wasn't I, like, exercising demons? Wasn't I, like, doing miracles for you? And, like, they're, they're, like, 
realization turns into like horror when they realize like their whole life was just centered around their resume and not their relationship with God. But guys, it doesn't matter whether or not it's like this super arrogant thing or like this super like fearful rationalization of what Jesus is saying. Someday we actually do have to give an account for our life, right? <laughs> like, one day God will like ask us that question, why should I let you into heaven? Like not only that, but we also have to answer for every empty word that we've ever spoken. Jesus like mentions that in the other gospels. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want I don't want to answer for my empty words. Like, I could say enough in one sentence to, like, damn the whole world. Someday you're going to have to give an account for your life. But the appropriate way to account for your life isn't to justify yourself, guys. It's to admit. What do I mean by admit? Let's look at this parable in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. This is what Jesus has to say. This is the difference between justifying yourself and admitting to God about your sin. It's called the the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Verse 9, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. That they were righteous and they looked down on everyone else. Jesus says this, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and another a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted, right? That's really cutting words. When you go before God, do you bring out your resume, like your little Jesus resume, like your accolades of religion? Why you're qualified to go to heaven? Or do you say to him, have mercy on me? Like there's this Pharisee and he's like, he's like standing in the front row and he's saying, oh God, thank you. Thank you that I'm like better than everyone else behind me. Like thank goodness you didn't make me socially awkward so that I could like be here. Thank goodness I'm not like the guy in the back row that's all alone and has no friends and just keeps like crying on the ground because he's so pathetic. Thank you for making me somebody. Or is your posture before God, hey, you say your mercies are new every morning and I could really use some of that. I could really use some of that. That's what a faith that's disingenuous, a faith that isn't true looks like, guys. It's a faith that when it gets tested, it falters. Just to summarize, like, this is a faith that looks more at the things that you are doing for God and not actually looking at God himself. Okay, it's... It's looking at the things that you're doing for God and it's not looking at him himself. Okay, what does it look like then to have a faith that is genuine? I don't want to spend the whole sermon just down in the dumps. Where's the illustration for that? And I love how Jesus gives us this answer in like a couple sentences in passing almost. He says this. 
starting in verses 24 and 25. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, he'll be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, pounded on the house, yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. Boom. That's it. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> we got we to gotta look into that. A genuine faith, guys, it's built on rock. Like, it's built on solid ground, okay? Solid ground. Jesus describes it that way, and we'll get to, like, what rocks and what solid ground means, but just acknowledging that, let's think about houses for a second. You're like, houses? Yeah, we're going to talk about houses. We're going to go there. A man who built his house on the rock. Have you guys, like, ever seen footage on, like, the news of, like, oh, bland, Florida, sinkhole, house sinks in, like, five seconds. And you're, like, watching the footage, and, like, the house is, like, sitting there, and, like, five seconds later, it's, like, 30 feet underground. You ever seen that? It's terrifying. There's, like, one guy a couple years ago, he, like, literally got eaten by the earth in his, like, bedroom, and no one ever saw him again. That's, like, super morbid, but it's, like, true. That's, like, that's, like, what sinkholes do. They, like, eat stuff. (laughs) They come in a moment, and all of a sudden, everything that you realized was yours is now gone. Right, okay, sinkholes in Florida might, like, might be kind of a stretch for us. We're, like, we're Midwesterners. We're, like, I don't, I don't really get sand. We don't see it that much here. Okay, what about like tornadoes, guys? I know a couple friends that were like alive during like the big Parkersburg tornado here in Iowa like 15-ish years ago. Like literally in like an hour and a half, a whole town of people is literally wiped off like the face of the earth. Like you could see the high school from like miles away because there were no houses in between your viewpoint of, like, where you lived and the school. What about, like, floods? In Iowa City, we had a flood just, like, over a decade ago. We just finished restoring, like, the last building, I think, this year. They came in an instant. The question about these disasters and these floods, these tornadoes, these sinkholes, whatever, it's not a question of if, but when. Okay, so as we're moving about that, like, we're thinking about, okay, disaster, they can have it any moment, but whatever. Like, what's the first thing you do when you build a house? It's all about location. No, that's not true. Okay, if you're building a house, (laughs) you're building a house, the very first thing you do before you pick, like, which towels from Target you're going to buy to put in your bathroom, before you pick what kind of flooring you're going to put in, whether you're going to change the flooring, you're going to change the windows, whatever, if you're building a house, the first thing you do to build it is pour a foundation. That's boring. No one cares about that. It's just like a bunch of concrete. Okay, here's what I'm saying. You make the piece of your house that literally holds up everything else in your house first. Makes sense, right? Like bottom up. Like you don't make like a cake with like the top row. and That'd just be impossible, right? It's like SpongeBob. You guys know, you guys watch SpongeBob, right? There's like that episode where like SpongeBob loses his house to like nematodes. And he's like trying to like nail in the boards on the second floor and Patrick's like, under him, like, moving, like, the cutting board, and he keeps, like, the boards keep falling on him because there's nothing under SpongeBob. That's because he didn't know how to build a house. He had to pour his foundation first, okay? We jiving? (laughs) Good, good. You have to build your foundation first. You make the piece that holds up and carries the weight of everything else you have. This is what Jesus is saying. Your works, guys, like, your works, the things that you do for God, with God, without God, whatever, Those are kind of like the floors that you put in your house. It's like the towels that you buy. It's like the TV that you put in your living room. Like, they matter, totally. Like, just, you know, the stuff that you put in your house, you want to be nice and look acceptable and have people over, whatever. 
but they only matter as much as like the foundation matters to like hold it all up. <laughs> if there wasn't a foundation to carry like your TV and your towels and your flooring, like it wouldn't really matter what kind of flooring you had, it would be useless because there's nothing to support it, right? Before you concern yourself with things in your house, guys, in your life, concern yourself with the thing that is holding your house. Follow me. Before you put anything in your house, you have to make sure what your house is standing on. Your life, the good, the bad, it's like a house. And we can build for ourselves like great houses, impressive houses, houses that like make people jealous of us even, right? And Jesus like wants to be clear, like, yeah, you can build your house, but if you don't build it on rock, like if you don't build it on solid ground, guess what? It's not going to last. Like you could get 40, 50, 80 years even out of the house that you build for yourself. So what? <laughs> Eventually a sinkhole is going to come, guys. Eventually a tornado will come by or even time itself will literally just win you out. And your life will vanish. Like your life will come to an end. And that could actually be it for you. If your house is not built on solid ground, the end of your life could actually be the end of it. But if you build your house, if you build your life on the rock, it's going to last. Even into death, even after death, forever. Okay, let's, let's talk about the rock. We've, we've talked enough about houses and SpongeBob for now. The foundation of our house is so important, so what is it? <laughs> okay, what, what do I need to stake my life on? Like, what do I need to build my life on to have a, a house that will make it? And Jesus is so funny in this way because the rock Jesus wants you to build your life on is him. That's super weird. You're like, I can't build a house on a human being. <laughs> He's saying you can. This is how. Jesus is promising us in the sermon, guys. He's making a promise to us. There are so many things you can stake your life on. Love, money, comfort, morals, religion, politics, anything. The reason those things aren't actually worth staking your life on is because they can't secure it like Jesus can. They can't secure it. No insurance policy you can get here can guarantee your life after death. But Jesus can and Jesus does, and he showed us that a life anchored in him and God leads to life after death by dying on a cross and raising three days later. He's like, hey, you want to like, see how good my product is? You know, like you have like the little guy with the knives coming to your house, and he's like, let me show you how sharp these knives are. No one does that anymore. That's like past the 90s, I get it, but you know, be nostalgic with me. Jesus is like giving a product demo. Hey, you want to see what a life of God actually ends up like? Check this out. I'm going to die and come back to life three days later. Seems like it works. I don't know. <laughs> Here's the way I see it. When I was a freshman in high school, guys, I almost died from a condition called rhabdomyolysis. If you know what that is, congratulations, I'm not going to describe it. It's really, it's complicated. I wasn't a Christian then. Like, I had no idea what the gospel was. The biggest dream I had for my life was getting a girlfriend. <laughs> so sad. Oh my gosh. Look at where I've come. Seriously, that was like what I wanted that more than anything. 
guys, God almost killed me. He almost killed me so that I could see my life didn't have a purpose. Like, I remember getting out of the hospital after staying there for like a week and a half, not returning to school for like another month and a half. And I'm just like laying in bed, trying to relearn how to walk. And I'm like, if I actually would have died, it wouldn't have meant literally anything. Like my life had legitimately zero impact on the world. Zero, none. But guys, a year later, I heard the gospel. And I knew that this was the thing that I needed to live for. Not just working for God, but having God as my father. To give another example, like just this last weekend, we were at a family reunion, my wife and I, and we're just about to leave, and my wife's grandfather, he like stops us. <laughs> and he begins like reading his obituary that he wrote for himself, which is like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe you just do that when you're old. I don't know. <laughs> Guys, this is, this is what he wrote. And Paul, I know you're going to listen to this. Forgive me. I don't remember it verbatim, but it went something like this. He said, my life matters because Jesus Christ died for my sins. Because I was married to my wife, Patty. And because I am Terry, Tanya, and Tori's father. All glory be to God. Amen. Isn't that so cool? He gets it, guys. Like, he, he knows that when he has to stand before God someday, there's nothing he's going to bring in his hand to see, like, hey, God, look what I, look what I did for you. No, he's saying, God, I am somebody because you died for me. Isn't that crazy? I want to be really clear, guys. There's only two kinds of people in this world. And you're like, oh, great, here we go again. No, there's, there's only two kinds of people in this world. People, there are people that have a foundation built on Jesus Christ and people that don't. And I don't mean to like, make that sound like an arrogant way or whatever, but Jesus himself is even saying that right here in the text. Either you are someone who has a hope in Jesus Christ that will lead to eternal life forever, or you're not. How can you have confidence that you will go to heaven, guys? It's not by exercising demons. It's not even by being a good person, but it's by knowing Jesus. It's by knowing Jesus. And if you have your life in like, by his life and his death, he completely changes your life. Like, once you accept that as truth, once you accept that as gospel, it changes everything about you. Guys, like, anything you build on the rock, it matters. But only because Jesus gave you a place for it to last. So I'm not saying, like, go do whatever you want, go sin. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, Follow what Jesus is saying this whole time in the Sermon on the Mount, but only because he gave you a space for it to actually make sense and actually matter. Because he gave your life for you, because he became a curse for us, guys, by taking our sin on the cross and dying and raising three days later, we can be blessed. Not just like blessed in like this hashtag blessed, I got like a nice dinner at the Tin Roost down the street, but like, I'm blessed because God knows my name. I'm blessed because I'm somebody. I'm blessed because I'm a child of God. And like, the best part about the blessings, guys, is like, you actually don't do anything to deserve it. Like, it's free favor from God. You don't 
work your way to like a blessing from God. He just gives it to you. Why? Because you're his son, you're his daughter. And so we're going to sing soon, but I'm just going to give you guys a little sneak peek. The last song we're going to sing tonight is called All Glory Be to Jesus. And the first verse is like this. It says, should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive. Unless the Lord raises the house, in vain its builders strive. Doesn't that make like so much more sense tonight, guys? Like, we can work really hard to make a difference in this world, but it only actually matters if God is working in us. Does that make sense? Cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of wrap this up with an exhortation from 1 Thessalonians 5. You don't have to go there, but I'm just going to read it over you. In the text, like Jesus, he's like kind of talking about like whoever does the will of my father, right? And like so many times we're like, what is, what is the will of God for my life? Like I have no idea what he wants me to do. Well, I'm actually going to give you the secret sauce for that tonight. I'm going to tell you the answer. First Thessalonians 5, here it is. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. The life of blessedness Jesus has been inviting us into this whole Sermon on the Mount, into this whole summer. The way to thrive in 2020 is living a life that's dependent on Jesus and not ourselves, guys. Let's pray. Yeah, Father God, I don't even know what to say right now, so I'm just going to speak for a bit until I figure it out. You're just so good to us, man. Like... I don't know why I'm even here except the fact that you did something in me. God, I have nothing to bring to you that would earn me any more merit than you've already given me by the blood of your son. And as we're wrapping up tonight, and as we're about to smack some tennis balls all over the court and make Mikey lose, that'll be great. Pray for that. God, like, I just want to know you more. I just want to know you more, and I want to be known by you more, and I want to love the things that you love. So God, would you keep changing me? Would you keep changing us? Would you be faithful to us as you've been faithful to us for our entire lives? And would we bow one day at King Jesus' name and no one else's?